And what really, really um, struck me was the breath being so simple. Because I have always been searching for the root cause, the root cause, the root cause, you know, dropping deeper, deeper and deeper. And it felt to me that here I had arrived at the fundamental basis of life itself. What's up, folks? Welcome back to the Breast Circle Podcast. I am Bill, and I am tuning in from Santa Fe, New Mexico. And over there is my dear friend, Connie. Connie, what's up? What's up, everybody? I'm tuning in from Berlin today. How you doing, Phil? Oh, doing great. And we are just so glad to have you all back. Today's episode is a really special one, as always. We have Dr. Ela Manga on the mic. We connected with her on Instagram, actually, and exchanged a couple messages, a couple little voice notes, and we're just so honored that she wanted to come on the podcast. And the timing of this episode just worked out so well with everything that she has going on with her projects and her endeavors. And we are just so excited to share this with you. So Connie, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, Dr. Ilamenga? Yeah, for sure. So Dr. Ilamenga, she's a medical doctor, a breath worker. She's an author and a speaker committed to conscious living and bringing the heart back into the art of medicine, which I totally love. Uh, she's also the founder of Breathwork Africa and just recently launched the Threats of Healing podcast where she has deep conversations with wisdom keepers, doctors, artists, storytellers, entrepreneurs, activists, visionaries, um, kind of bringing awareness to the voices who've answered their call to heal and discover a new way of being in Africa, which, you know, as you might know, is the birthplace of humankind. And her focus... Um, generally is not just on treating symptoms but diving deeper to uncover the root causes of illness and to work together with clients to create a new mind body system in context of like the big picture of their life and she does individual consultations she gives talks facilitates workshops trainings retreats and uh, also through her writing she created a fascinating framework of uncovering the basis of energy management, blending neuroscience with ancient wisdom and the study of human behavior. And she's also published a book around that. Um, Dr. Ilomanga lives in the vibrant African city of Johannesburg, and her practice is based at the sanctuary in Hutton Estate. I have no idea how to pronounce that. Um, but uh, she's, she's a wonderful human being, and it was such a joy uh, hanging out with her. And um, yeah, Phil, share with us what did we all talk about? Because it was a great convo. Mm, yeah, it sure was. Thank you, Connie. In this episode, we covered so much, and it was funny. At one point, I said to Dr. Manga, you are bringing breathwork to Africa. And she said, actually, I'm bringing breathwork back to Africa. And I think that's just such a testament to who she is and how modest she is and really how big her mission is, but also just intentional she is with the words she uses around what she's, what she's really doing. Because in, 
many ways, she's bringing breathwork throughout Africa. She's bringing breathwork to schools and into the education systems. And that was a, a really, really interesting part of the conversation. We also dissected the art framework that Dr. Manga created, which stands for awareness, regulation, and transformation. And this is a framework that she uses to break down the different types of uh, breathwork classifications, basically. And this really resonated with Connie and me and, and actually was a big motivator for doing our episode on the types of breathwork as well. Um, we spoke about her experience with burnout and energy management and how that played very deeply into her writing and, and the books she's published. We had a really fascinating thread around chronic illness and getting to the root cause. And Dr. Manga shared what she knows and what we really don't know about this topic, which is just a, a fascinating one that Connie and I are constantly talking about together. To find out more information about Dr. Ela Manga, you can go to Dr. Ela Manga, and that is E-L-A-M-A-N-G-A dot com. You can also find her on Instagram at Ela Manga. And then you can also find out more about Breathwork Africa on Instagram at Breathwork underscore Africa. And with that, let's jump right in, y'all. Here we go. Let's do it. Well, here we are. Welcome back to the Breath Circle podcast. Today, we're super stoked to have Dr. Ila Manga on the microphone down in South Africa in Johannesburg. And thank you so much for joining us today, Ila. Oh, thank you, Connie. It's so wonderful to be here with you having this conversation. Thank you for... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Great to meet you here, Dr. Ila Manga. And... Um, Super excited to kick this off. Let's take it back to kind of the beginning of your medical professional world. Um, could you tell us for a moment how you became an integrative doctor? Yeah, well, you know, I went through the normal channels of medical school. I did my internship and a year of community service at a big uh, academic hospital in Johannesburg. And, you know, I had great plans to specialize in obstetrics and gynecology or pediatrics. And, uh, you know, my initial plan when I started medicine was to stay in the hospital system uh, for five years and specialize. But I found after my year of community service, I was so burnt out. I was exhausted. I was sleep deprived and I really couldn't see myself staying in that hospital system and working those incredibly long shifts. And so I, I was offered an opportunity to do a locum at a friend's general practice. And I thought it was a great idea just to get out there and to feel what it was like to be a GP. And I really loved it. I loved everything about it. I loved just connecting with people more. I loved having more time to listen um, just to, you know, to be in my own space and to craft um, my own style of practicing medicine. But it was about a year or two into practicing as a GP that I started to become frustrated because I realized that my training was limited. And I realized that, you know, 
the way that I was trained to make a diagnosis, to prescribe pills, was really just not supporting true healing. And I just felt increasingly, increasingly dissatisfied with practicing medicine in that way. And I always knew that I wanted to work with treating the root cause, but I didn't feel equipped to do so. You know, I didn't feel like my training supported practicing in this way. And it was really a painful and confusing time because I didn't know, you know, where to turn, what modalities to study. So I investigated modalities like Ayurveda, um, homeopathy, um, reflexology, all kinds of modalities, and nothing really appealed to me. You know, even though I love the science of Ayurveda, I just felt um, that, uh, you know, in a kind of Western setting, it wasn't really easy to, to practice, so I didn't have access to the herbs, and, you know, just didn't feel that practical. But then I came across a modality called body talk, which was created by a chiropractor called John Veltheim. And this is a modality that's based in quantum physics, but really brings together anatomy and physiology and uh, Ayurvedic principles, Chinese medicine into one system. And I thought, wow, this is really incredible. And I had a session for myself and there was just something that resonated with me around it. Even though it was so intangible, there was just a sense that this is something that I wanted to study. And that was really my first entry point uh, into the whole world of body-mind medicine or integrative medicine. It was really quite far left, you know. I kind of jumped into the deep end of, you know, Western medicine to energy medicine. Um, and I started to kind of experiment in my practice with some of these modalities. And I realized that, wow, something was happening here, that I was able to treat headaches without pulls, that I was able to um, work on a deeper level, you know, and I really, it really supported me to understand the mind-body connection in a deeper way. And the more I practiced um, this technique and I, the more I started to weave it into my practice, the more courageous I became. became. And um, one day I realized that I just couldn't be in the setting any longer, that I needed to be in, a, in an environment that supported healing. You know, that healing is relational. Uh, it is so dependent on not just our relationship with our feelings and emotions, but it's related to our environment. And so I had a dream and a vision of practicing in a more natural setting. And um, I visualized, or I just had this intention of uh, being near running water by practicing in a space that was surrounded by trees. And so the opportunity to practice that way uh, presented itself and I grabbed it. Uh, so one of my friends, my best friends that um, I had been working with and having many conversations about this holistic model with was a social worker and um, her family had a, um, a wellness center that she started from her mom's home. And uh, so we had this vision of bringing body talk and integrative medicine together with spa therapies, with massage, with counseling with yoga. And so 
yes, it just kind of worked out, you know. I decided one day to sell my practice um, and I left and I moved out to the country. And um, so Maurice and I crafted this, um, you know, this modality or this um, a, a framework of practicing in this way. And we created these 12-week programs where people would come in uh, every week and they would experience all these modalities. And it was just incredible because people started to heal. You know, mm -hmm. we created the environment to support people to heal. And it was, it was time, it was listening, it was connection with nature uh, that all supported this process of healing and supported the process of healing for ourselves, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, so really that, that just evolved. And um, a lot of how I practiced was self-taught. So there was a time I remember that I was, I, you know, I was so, I was like a sponge. I was reading up everything related to the subject. And I was reading Clarissa Pinkola Estes, and I was reading, uh, Deepak Chopra and everything and anything that was out there, I was soaking it up. And, um, you know, that was the way I just started to clarify and mold and shape my unique uh, methodology and my unique kind of way of practicing medicine. Fascinating. That's awesome. I, I'll just say the, the environment component from my experience has just been mind blowing, like both physical and energetic environment, just like what, what I surround myself with and, and just the possibilities of having healing environments, you know, that, that, that really foster true deep inner healing, something I'm really called to as well. So just as you were explaining kind of how the wellness center vision evolved, I was just, I was getting tingles thinking, Oh, this is, I, I also have these dreams of one day being part of um, movements to, to help people you know, be in these environments where they can really truly heal instead of just taking pills or, you know, prescriptions on a, on a very targeted basis. So thanks so much for sharing that. That was a beautiful backstory. Yeah. Like I loved how you said like healing is relational. That's, that's something that I just find so powerful in all the relations, like in all the ways we can relate to the environment, to, to people, to, you know, energetically and, and whatnot. And, um, yeah, very powerful. So I guess that my next question would be like, how, where does the breath come in, right? Like how, how did you discover the breath, the power of the breath? And then, you know, what was your journey like into breath work itself and becoming a breath work mm. practitioner? Was there like also maybe a trigger moment or like, how, yeah, do you remember maybe your first breath work session? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think, well, obviously my book, my first conscious connected breathwork session was uh, completely mind blowing, but you know, I think when I, when I started to um, practice medicine, um, w once I had finished my internship and community service, I started practicing yoga. So parallel to my professional journey, I was also going through a personal journey. And so yoga became one of the anchors uh, of my life, my spiritual anchors. And so, of course, um, my, um, my relationship with breath began through my relationship with yoga. And I remember one day um, going to a 
huge Kundalini yoga festival um, with Gurmuk, uh, <laughs> based right in LA. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it was a huge event. There must have been about 200 people. And it was my first experience of Kundalini yoga. But wow, it was like the first time I had that heart opening experience where I just was in awe, I was in tears. I was just, was just so in love, in love with life, in love with the world. And um, I think it was about two years after that, that I met Dan Brule. And ah, Dan, okay. yeah. yeah. I saw you did an interview with him in like 2015 or something, it's on YouTube. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, Dan was visiting South Africa, I think it was around 2011, and um, he was running his talks and workshops from the wellness center where I was based. And I saw that he was doing a talk, um, breath work, and he looked interesting, so I decided to go and listen to him. And I remember, you know, not being really overwhelmed by what he was saying, it didn't feel like new information, you know. Uh, but I don't know, there was, <laughs> we, there was something strange that happened because as I was about to leave, I just felt this kind of, I don't know, like this force that, you know, I don't know. Before I knew it, I was standing in front of him and saying, I really want to study with you. <laughs> you know, and <laughs> so then... As you do. Said, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so then I experienced my first breathwork session and it was just... Wow, it was like coming home. It was everything that I had been searching for but didn't know I was. Um, you know, it just really felt like that missing link. And um, yeah, I mean, that was it. Um, I attended every workshop and training that Dad, Dan did in South Africa um, and started organizing for him, organizing his notes. And through that process, started to really, really understand uh, the deeper workings of this magical modality and also to understand the science of it. And what really, really um, struck me was the breath being so simple because I have always been searching for the root cause, the root cause, the root cause, you know, dropping deeper, deeper and deeper. And it felt to me that here I had arrived at the fundamental basis of life itself. I mean, where does one go further than the breath? Because the breath is so infinite in itself, you know? <laughs> and um, I think what really excited me was in terms of integrative medicine, here was a modality that anybody could access. Because often integrative medicine um, is not always accessible to people, especially with people, uh, you know, to people at grassroots level. And in the South African context specifically, it was frustrating for me that a lot of what we speak about in integrative medicine is not accessible to many people. But here we have a modality that is accessible to anybody. Mm. And the simplicity and the power of breath work uh, in this context uh, really, really excited me. And so I am driven by the need to simplify 
the, the field of breath work so that anybody can relate to it. Yeah, it really resonates. And, and a lot of the work you've done that I've seen has talked about kind of the unlearning and like going back to the simplicities as well. And, and I just find it so interesting that breath work is on the one hand so simple, yet it's so complicated and it's taking, it's taking everybody so long to like, but yet it's like all, it's back to the basics and the old yogis, like they, they've been talking about this for years and years and years on end. <laughs> and, and, and also to your point about integrative medicine, it's, um, I, I find this in the States as well, where, you know, even, even the, the best modalities are like rarely covered by insurance. So, you know, not to mention getting it accessible to people to hear about it, but, but just to, to actually pay for it. I mean, and it's the simplest of all things is breath that literally doesn't cost anything to, to use. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm. And, and I think you're right, you know, it's simple and yet it's so vast. And I think that I have learned more about the body-mind system in, well, through my study of breath work than at medical school, actually. Mm. Wow. Well, maybe not more, but I don't know. It's, it's, I, I see it in a completely different way. For example, through breath work, I really have studied the diaphragm in such detail. Mm. Uh, I've studied the fascial system in such detail. I mean, it is mind-blowing. It is mind-blowing how this is all connected, how the human system is perfectly designed to facilitate the flow of breath. You know, that breath is at the core. It's linked to everything. Mm -hmm. I have understood so much more about the mitochondria. You know, <laughs> if, if we take a breath to really the, the mitochondrial level, and we look at how the mitochondria is designed and how it all works. It's just mind blowing. Mm. You know, every so really modality of breath work, every style of breath work uh, can be understood in such a rich and deep way. Yeah. Through breath work, I have learned about the vagus nerve. Mm. I have learned about the brain in such detail. It's taken my understanding of mindfulness to a different level. Mm. So, yeah. um, and I'm learning every single day. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just, it's limitless, you know? <laughs> That's so true. And that in itself also gives me chills because it really is limitless. It's so deep and so infinite. <laughs> and so it's just, it's just, right, in quotation marks, the breath. <laughs> it's like, well, it's not just the breath. <laughs> yeah, fascinating. Yeah. Um, you mentioned a few um, times I now, sorry. Sorry, you go. No, no, I, no, we just I was just saying, um, as part of um, the training, I, so I run practitioner training, and uh, we, we run a three-day foundation course. And one of my favorite parts of the foundation course is uh, showing the participants a, a video clip of the dissection of the fascia and um, the deep front line and how it's all connected to the diaphragm and how the fascia is linked right from the soles of the foot right up to the tongue. And um, I love it when I have medical people on that course because they, it just completely blows their mind that this wow. tissue that we hack away when we're doing dissection or we in theater has such a pivotal role in um, our overall health. It's something that is not even regarded in, you know, in Western medicine. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating just how we're like discovering a lot of this stuff 
and uh, and and opening our minds. And, and and the awesome thing is, I think that a lot of this knowledge is now more accessible through social media and uh, and you know and books and and all the things. And so that even someone like me who has not studied medicine can actually understand it. You know, and like the other day, I got into uh youtube really deep into the like the how the diaphragm works and like i just and like i watched these videos man i was just like what it was so awesome (laughs) i was like well here i am on a friday night at 11 p.m watching videos on the diaphragm you know what i mean I'm laughing too because I ended up receiving the video from Connie and spending my Saturday watching this as well. And I'm like, the diaphragm is so cool. How did I not know any of this? I am obsessed with the diaphragm. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, same. (laughs) Like there's this video on YouTube. It's like a 3D sort of thing, you know, and it's like, it's like the the how the camera like moves as it's like moving the diaphragm i was just, i watched it it's like a one minute video and i watched it like 20 times just because i'm like whoa <laughs> mind blow um <laughs> the, i i wanted to because you a few times you mentioned you know root causes of illness and you know how passionate you are about um going on to that level rather than working with pills and whatnot and so um maybe backtracking a little bit but um how where do you see also mentioning mind body connection and all the things and we actually just recently also had uh someone uh a conversation with someone for the breast circle podcast um around that and um uh, i don't know if uh, dr john sarno um maybe rings a bell for you um but anyway i'm just curious what your sort of understanding is today as to how what causes illness what other root causes especially when it comes to chronic illnesses um and uh yeah yeah, just kind of your take on that you know in in my journey uh of unraveling this or examining this and asking myself this the very same question that you've just asked me there are certain things that i have started to understand and there are certain aspects that are just completely mysterious. Mm-hmm. So let's just start with what I have started to understand. Um, and that is that we are such incredibly multi-dimensional beings. And so even if we are to ask the question around root cause, I don't think we can just you know, bring it down to a cause. There are causes. And so, you know, uh, we go down to as deep as we can go. Um, and, and so perhaps, you know, for those who resonate with this idea of, um, of, of us being souls or that, you know, we've, we've had previous lives, you know, I believe that this is an influence. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that anybody who is a parent will know that when, when a soul is, you know, comes into the form of a baby that has its own, that being has its own energy that has nothing to do with appearance. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think that is an influence. Um, that, that, is, that is my belief. But also uh, we understand now that we inherit um, not just, you know, uh, genetics from our maternal line and paternal line, but through our genes, we also inherit belief systems. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a massive layer of influence mm-hmm. 
um, you know, what we inherit on a physical gene level, but also on, a, on an energetic gene level. Mm -hmm. um, so that's another layer. And then, of course, you know, we have environmental factors and we have dietary factors and we have the factors of, you know, belief systems that are shaped very early on in life based on our very early life experience, which shapes the way that we see ourselves and the way that we see the world. You know, this then becomes a neural pathway in the body-mind system. You know, even before that, you know, I didn't mention our birth experience. I have seen just, uh, you know, through my, um, my own experience with breathwork, how um, the birth experience has such a role to play in, in our physical health. Um, and, you know, just think about the birth being our first experience of breath. Okay, how yeah. did we take our first breath? So mm. our experience of our first breath has shaped our relationship with life, has shaped our relationship with our physical body. You know? I so that. I think that, you know, we have all of these influences and we know through our study with, um, well, through epigenetics that we are able to change which genes are expressed and, and which aren't. And, and so that's really exciting that even though we have all these influences, we have the ability to switch off the genes that cause illness and switch on the genes that support health. We know from our study of neuroscience that we are able to spark up new neural pathways. And so through consciousness, through awareness, through practice, uh, we are able to create an entire new body-mind system. And I've seen this. And for me, this is what healing means. This is what mm. healing is about. Mm. It's creating these new neural pathways that are more related to our natural state um, that are driven and inspired by our natural state, you know, mm. and when we have a glimpse of that, then we can continue to choose it. Mm. You know, we can invest in that feeling. The more we invest in that feeling, the more it changes the way that we think, the more it changes our relationship with our feelings and emotions, the more we can make different choices around how to support our physical body, you know. Mm. And, and so the more we engage with this, the more we invest in these practices, we actually scientifically create new neural pathways. We create a new body-mind system, mm. which is more supportive of optimum health and well-being. Mm. Yeah. Ooh. It's so, so much of that just resonates to my personal experience, my lived experience too, of, of layered healing, you know, and, and just letting the layers come up as they're ready to come up is so much how breath work works is not choosing the layers and just working through the process and letting the body process things that really resonates. And, and then, you know, going deeper into those layers, going back to birth, what was the birth like? Was it a traumatic birth? You know, what, what, what was mom going through in that, in that moment? Right. Who else was in the room? What was the environment like? I mean, there's so many layers to that. It's just, yeah. And, and, you know, not just what the mom was going through. We also know now that it's what the father was going through mm. at the time mm. that has as much, if not more influence on our fetal experience. Mm. Mm -hmm. Wow. I was put into an incubator after birth 
And, you know, my mom was saying, well, it was just for like, I don't know, a day or something. I'm like, yeah, but that's a day of like, you're born <laughs> and then you're like put into an incubator and no one can touch you basically. And, mm. um, and until I realized like that, what, how traumatic just that experience in itself is, right? And, and the effects of that and uh, probably time for some sort of rebirthing <laughs> session or something at some point in my life. But um, yeah, really fascinating. I guess also it reminds me um, of uh, yeah epigenetics and um, also Dr. Joe Dispenza and, and like his work um, and um, understanding that, man, it's just such a complex process. Well, it's simple and it's complex, but I mean, in terms of my healing, for example, I mean, I've had some quite a bit of chronic stuff going on in my life as well. And for the most part, uh, just my last healing actually this year happened mainly through um, breath work and doing a ton of emotional processing, like on a conscious level and like, you know, therapy and whatnot. And then uh, and going really deep down into like the root cause of in terms of emotionally underneath my gut issues. And, um, you know, which is for the main part, anger and unprocessed emotions, <laughs> right? Like, as there, um, with so many people that suffer from gut issues and IBS and leaky gut and like all of that stuff, right? I mean, uh, and then also the other day I was reading up on something that uh, I, I've also struggled in the past with a lot of uh, issues around codependency in relationships and that most not most, but like there's a very high number of people that struggle with codependency in relationships that also have IBS, leaky gut, you know, small intestinal um, bacterial overgrowth, like all of that sort of stuff. So hmm. <laughs> there's yeah. like a yeah, lot of correlation there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. That there's a link between, you know, the way we show up in the world, the way we relate to ourselves and how our body stores that you know mm -hmm. exactly. where our body stores that and that's exactly. what really excites me about breathwork is that yes mm -hmm. you know um so while therapy is really really supportive and helpful and um you know um supportive of understanding um what we you know some of the root causes of what we can consciously get to um you know brings awareness to to some of those patterns from our past but what excites me about breath work is that it can take us to what lies in the subconscious. And a lot of those patterns reside in the subconscious. Mm. Uh, um, totally. Yeah. Mm. One, one other comment I wanted to make while we're talking about epigenetics is, is also this idea of security, be, feeling safe to feel and being safe to be in this body. And, and this actually came up when we chatted with Michael Stone on the breast circle. He talked about how, his grandparents in, in Nazi Germany or Poland, you know, they lived there for decades and decades, generations. And then all of a sudden, you know, have to pick up and move to a different country. And then, you know, he was born in the U.S. to, to his, you know, his, his, um, his parents had, had kind of moved there with the grandparents. But the whole point was like, how can he feel safe in his body when his grandparents who felt safe in their little town in Germany or Poland for so many years suddenly had to leave? And that was like a, an imprint potentially epigenetic imprint on him and you know just having these conversations with grandparents and parents and like kind of understanding what were the things that happened like before I was born can can maybe play a role in like what is how is that showing up for me in my relationships with security and all of these other things that Connie just talked about so it's such mm -hmm. a factor that I think 
our society is only just now starting to realize is related to chronic illness. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, kind of like that... the idea, sorry, you go. Okay. I guess it's kind of like the idea of ancestral trauma, right? Is they say it's like seven generations that it gets passed on just through this story. Like, let's say I experience a trauma, then I will possibly start telling myself a certain story around that, um, that is, you know, and then the trauma started in my body energetically and whatnot. And then through the story I tell myself and the belief that I take on maybe because of that trauma or developmental trauma or whatever. And then I pass that on to my children and then they, you know, and so the stories just keep, you know, moving through the generations. And then here we are like, and then if we think about seven generations, that's a really long time, actually. And that's, mm-hmm. that's there's if we think about, let's say, just the women that lived seven generations ago and where like, you know, the the the, the trauma that a lot of women had to endure um, mm-hmm. back then, you know, just through being a woman, <laughs> um, let it be through rape or, you know, all sorts of things. And that mm-hmm. was never resolved. There was no therapy. Right. And so mm-hmm. or breath work in that sense. And, and then, but that's what's really exciting about this time we're living in, is that we yes. have ways to heal that, you know, not just free ourselves, but I believe that can free that, that lineage, um, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that trauma that is carried through that line. Yeah, and so exactly. we're healing for all those who have come before us and for all those who will come after us. Mm-hmm. And isn't it fascinating how, as the internet's evolved over the last, you know, 20 years or something, you know, and then there's like this healing revolution happening as well, right? Like away from pharmaceuticals more to holistic healing, things like breathwork and, you know, uh, or, you know, uh, psychedelics, plant medicine and so on, like basically going back uh, and, and how this is all just like coinciding and, and how there's like this awakening happening in many ways. I don't know. I just find it really fascinating to see the connection there. Um, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It's, you know, it's um, uncertain times, but it's also exciting times. Oh, totally. <laughs> Yeah. I feel like with 2020, you know, I'm like, wow, this is one of the toughest years, like for so many of us, obviously, and like collectively, individually. And it's also probably one of the most important years, you know, like that we'll look back at. And so we don't know how 2021 is going (laughs) to work out yet, but (laughs) oh gosh. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, it's going to be a year that we all look back at uh, as a crossroads, as a turning point for humanity. So good. Yeah. Well, I want to bring us back to what we were talking about a minute ago and and, um, education and and bringing breathwork to younger people and kind of instilling this in in values early on. So we'll we'll kind of get there in a moment. But I think an immediate question that's coming up is just bringing breathwork to Africa is, is this huge thing in my mind. I can't, I wouldn't even begin to know where to start, but we're talking to the person right now who's doing that. It's, it's like mind blowing. And I'm so excited and just happy to explore how this happened and, and, and just how this idea, I mean, you're undertaking, um, Dr. Dr. Mango, such a big endeavor, but you're doing it and it's happening and it's, and it's evolving beautifully. And, um, but just tell us a little bit how this, this movement begun and what you're, what you're doing right now in terms of, um, literally bringing breathwork to Africa. Mm. Well, uh, you know, I don't believe I'm bringing breathwork to Africa. I think the breath is very much alive here. Mm. <laughs> I think the, the land breathes um, so powerfully here. 
Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I live very close to the cradle of humankind. And it's very yes. powerful uh, energy that's incredibly grounding. And, and I, you know, I feel strongly that um, the rest of the world needs the grounding or the energy that lives here mm -hmm. in Africa. And, and so, so my work, uh, I feel, is more to um, kind of feed it, to support it so that it can come alive so that the people here can reconnect to it. This innate inherent wisdom that lies within each of us. And I, I think that so much of the pain and the trauma that we've experienced in this country and in certainly the rest of the world is because we have separated from this. And, and so for me, you know, the work is really about supporting this reconnection. And, and to simplify the practices that are available to all of us, you know, um, and that have come through uh, all the traditions, how can we bring them together in a very simple way? How can we classify them in some kind of way so that there's a framework that makes it easy for us to, to understand and share? And I think this is where the science of breathwork is so important. Because, you know, breath, we know how powerful breathwork is. And we know the powerful physiological and chemical ch changes that can happen when we do powerful practices. And so, you know, in understanding the scientific basis of what is happening when we do these practices is so important when we use them and when we share them, especially when we're working uh, at a community level, when we're working with people who don't feel safe. You know, how do we cultivate that sense of, of safety again so that we are supporting healing to happen? Hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely had a close look at um, what you're all up to with Breathwork Africa. And because um, you do, there's, there's quite a lot of stuff that, that you're up to. And, and especially one thing I found fascinating was um, how you are bringing the breath or breath work uh, into schools. And um, can you maybe share a little bit about that kind of work that you're doing there and, and just how, um, what you've seen um, there through that work and, and just um, why um, that was something you wanted to pursue and, and yeah. I'm yeah. Curious. Well, I think, you know, uh, the reason that um, work with children is so powerful is that, um, you know, it's an opportunity to, to embed neural pathways that support the connection to the natural state very early. Um, you know, that connection is really so present uh, in children. And it's as we grow up that we start to separate, you know, as we build these layers of identity and roles and, you know, gather all of these um, habits and patterns uh, that, that, you know, create that separation. So, you know, just to use the breath to support that innate connection of children to their creativity, to their natural understanding of their bodies is just so powerful because, you know, it will save us a lot of <laughs> kind of a work uh, that needs to happen in the future, you know, that, that foundation is laid. Mm -hmm. And so that really um, is our driver to working with, with children. 
And so um, my partner at Breathwork Africa, Marge Murray, uh, so she drives the Breathing with Children uh, program that we've called Project Inspire. And so she is just, she's got such a beautiful, fun way of working with people, uh, with working with children rather. And um, so we've created, uh, we've created a few programs um, and Breathing Buddy is one of those programs where we train people to work with children. And uh, so we work with all kinds of um, practices that, that work with the art of breathing formula, but that kind of um, is, is adapted for children. So for example, bunny breath supports children to work with uh, their natural emotion rather than suppressing it. Mm. Um, you know, we work with the five-five technique, which is the coherent breathing. So we adapt uh, the adult practices for children and they really just, you know, they take to it so beautifully because it comes so naturally to them. It's fun. It's easy to remember. And they end up teaching their parents. So it's, they are a beautiful entry point into working with the family systemically. Mm. And is there, is there an age that you find or an age range that's like a really good hook point in, into like getting breathwork into a child's brain where it's like, okay, they get it. They're old enough to intellectualize this, but also the curiosity is still there. They haven't learned too yeah, much. Absolutely. I think, you know, from the ages of about six to nine, Mm. That is just a beautiful age because they're able to understand it. They're not, you know, they haven't reached that cynical age of, of um, their teenage years yet. They're just beautiful and open and receptive. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's a really beautiful age to work with kids. Mm. Super cool. And it's also um, interesting, mm. you know, to see that um, younger children actually you know, their relationship with the breath is so beautiful. It's so natural, it's free and it's, it flows. And it's amazing to watch the influence of the mind and uh, of conditioning on the breath. Mm-hmm. And it starts to change uh, once they enter the actual school system. Mm. Interesting. So would you say that, because, you know, we all get sort of know, or people, you know, working with the breath that, babies have a nice, beautiful, deep belly, diaphragmatic breathing going on. And then we lose that. Um, or, you know, a lot of adults have shallow chest breathing. What, what's, what's, have you seen, or like, do you know at what age that usually starts to shift? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a general perception. Um, I've had conversations with breath workers uh, who work a lot with, with babies who would argue that that's not the case. Mm, interesting. You know, that sometimes the birth experience uh, creates oh, yeah. a trauma that is locked in, and, and, you know, that can be seen very early on, you know, in, in just immediately after birth. Oh, wow. So, uh, I mean, I think that, you know, there are varying opinions on that. Right. Got it. Wow. Got it. Well, that would make sense, though, that a birth trauma would, you know, change the breathing pattern, like immediately for the rest of their lives, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, one of my colleagues, uh, Omar uh, Shitwa, who's based in the Middle East, uh, does beautiful work with, um, with newborns. And, mm. um, and so, yeah, he's got a profound insight into, into this topic. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so cool. Uh, that's where my brain went. I was like, well, can you work with the newborn or do you have to wait till, you know, they get to 
that that's amazing like mm. yeah because the earlier you start dealing with the trauma the better obviously the oh, less yeah. stories get layered on top of that that story exactly. just imagine like also just coming back to bringing breathwork to schools you know and teaching like six to nine year olds like breathing techniques and like which it's not just like teaching them a technique it's like they you know it's like they learn how to really connect to themselves and like and then taking that into adulthood and just into their lives and into their families like how mm -hmm. fucking powerful is that like the ripple effect that has you know oh, and yeah. to, to be exactly. growing up connected to your breath like whoa you know mm -hmm. gosh i would have probably i don't know probably gone through a little less challenges in my life you know if i'd been connected to my breath you know since i was younger so but yeah. it's all there's all divine purpose and all the things obviously but <laughs> yeah. yeah and and i think also just um the ability to teach children is only as good as the frameworks and the systems or you know just the curriculum if you will that you put in place and so i'm, I'm curious to dive into the art framework for a moment because um, you mentioned this this was one of the things we were excited to talk to you about as well but um can you share with us a little bit um dr manga just how the framework was developed and some of the examples you have in the framework um, materials that we saw online are actually some of our favorite breathwork exercises. Like the box breathing is one of my favorites. And so, yeah, so yeah talk us through that maybe for a moment. Yeah. So I think this conversation um, began as part of um, the science and research group meetings um, as part of the IBF. So uh, the International Breathwork Foundation uh, formed the science and advisory group so they're a group of um, uh, geeky breath workers, <laughs> but, you know, doctors who, and, and scientists who are interested in the science of breath work that, that came together. Um, and one of the conversations that we had was uh, to really create an, a, a list of all the techniques that were out there and how people were practicing them. And um, through that conversation, we started to see that there was there's such a vast range out there and people were experiencing or, or uh, practicing all kinds of styles and, and, and techniques and really that there's no right and wrong, but it is important to understand the physiological mechanisms of what is happening with each technique. And so some techniques are more well-researched than others, but in, in the process of creating this, this categorization, it occurred to me that there were three main categories. Um, and the first was awareness, so breath awareness for self-awareness. And so that was the A of the art. The second was um, regulation, so breath regulation for self-regulation. And then the T, which is transformation. So the transformative techniques, which are the more dynamic forms of breathwork. And so if we had to look at the vast range of, of techniques out there, we can see that we can kind of put them in, in each of those kind of categories. And so if we had to look at breath awareness, which is just simple breath watching, is the foundation of any mindfulness practice, you know? And um, there's so many ways of experiencing breath awareness. 
I thought that um, one of the practices that I regularly use and prescribe, which is yoga nidra, would fall under that category, which is just bringing awareness to the body. And then in terms of the, the regulation category, um, these are techniques that we thought are accessible to anybody and can be integrated easily into your everyday life. And under regulation, there are three kind of energy states that we can play with when we're working with these, these techniques. So these are practices that energize, okay? So for example, uh, breath of fire, uh, kapalabhati, uh, Vim Hof would fall under this category, you know, really um, building up this internal fire, uh, activating the sympathetic nervous system uh, for a very specific purpose. Um, Bastrika, for example, uh, would, be an, would be another energizing practice. And then we look at, looked at the relaxing practices. And so these would be the techniques that would activate the parasympathetic nervous system more, that have more of a cooling effect on the body. And so we look at techniques like the humming breathe breath or um, the, the cooling breath. We look at um, the 478 breath uh, that's very popular to help people fall asleep. Um, that is really helpful for, um, for insomnia. So these are practices that focus on, on uh, often nose breathing, on slowing the exhalation down, on activating the vagus nerve. And then we have the balancing practices. And these are the techniques that balance the inhalation and the exhalation. Alternate nostril breathing, uh, box breathing, coherent breathing. So these are practices that balance sympathetic and parasympathetic to bring a state of coherence and balance into the system. So, um, you know, so in understanding the, the effect on the autonomic nervous system, we can kind of uh, place these techniques into these categories. So then people can uh, kind of pick and choose around what they're needing at that particular time. They can build their toolbox. And, you know, uh, once they kind of have a sense of what they're experiencing in their body, that they've cultivated a sense of self-awareness, they can actually consciously choose a particular technique for this, for this particular day or this particular moment. You know? And then the T are the, the transformative practices that then um, allow, allows access to the subconscious mind. So these are practices that are, you know, based on conscious connected breathing, holotropic breath work, um, all the techniques that uh, are facilitated by, uh, by someone who's that, you know, that are held in a particular space and um, that are used as a, a form of therapy. Mm. So I, I just thought that this was a quite a helpful kind of framework um, that supports um, just anyone who's interested in breath, but also is very supportive for breath workers to to teach um, their, their clients um, mm. and to, you know, create an understanding for themselves. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an awesome framework. And um, thanks for walking us through that, that, that added layers of understanding um, just for me. Um, and, and it's, it's, I think one of the things that's, I think so fascinating about breath work is when you just say breath work, it's so confusing, all the different types and all this, but that this framework really helps to break, break down and, and understanding. I think a few points to call out 
the transformational breathwork piece is is as you said needs it's almost therapy it's like deeper work like very professional training um and just space being held in with that type of breathwork and that's what Connie and I are studying. We don't take that part of breath work lightly at all. I think there's like an incredible amount of healing that one needs to do and just training in so many ways to actually be able to hold space in a, in a way that's, that's intentional and, and safe, I think. And then, you know, I think the awareness piece, um, just going back to the first one, really speaks to, I think, a connection um, from different mindfulness practices. And as you said, yoga nidra, other types of of meditation and, and just, you know, starts with awareness. I think where, where the meatiness really lies is, is in that R in the, in the, um, in the middle and the regulation. And so, yeah, it's, it's so interesting to kind of the way you've broken down those three pieces. But I think one thing that I, that I really want to bring out and as listeners try out their different breathwork recipes and flavors and different types of breathwork, one of the things you said, Dr. Mango was, you know, you know, right away, you, you know, very quickly, whether this type of breath exercise is working. So whether it's box breathing, four, seven, eight breath, five, 10 breath, after a couple minutes of doing it, it's kind of obvious. Like, do I feel better? Do I feel more balanced? Do I feel more energized, you know, or not? And like, you may not, it may not work for you, but then there's another recipe right there to try. And so I just love with breath work, like you get the feedback right away. It's not like, you know, what did the, what did my blood, you know, count say next week? Or, you know, what is the doctor going to tell me? Should I muscle test it? You know, it's like, it's just so clear. Like, do I feel better? Do I feel more balanced? You know, did my anxiety go down? And so it, I, this is why I get so inspired about breath. It's just, it, it, it tells you right away. Your body tells you right away, like what's, what's working and what works for one person may not work for the other, but there's all these different recipes and flavors that just fully infinitely accessible to us. So. That's exactly it. And you know, the, the more we kind of work with um, practicing these techniques, um, the board becomes intuitive. So it does become an art form. And that's what I love about mm. the art framework is that eventually, you know, it becomes your own unique expression of breath and your own unique art form. Um, because we are all unique beings, you know, there can't be a one size fits all approach, even when it comes to breath work. So as much as the framework is a framework, is really a foundation of working with breath as a form of art, you know, where it's just beyond any frameworks. Mm -hmm. you know? That's so true. And, you know, cause the thing is also, and I think that's also what prompted me to like months ago now, uh, write this article on breath work because I was trying to understand, I, I, my brain needed to categorize stuff because I was just getting a bit like, wait a second here. I, I, and that's the thing also when I, you know, when you, when we tell people about breath work, right. It's like, either they think it's like pranayama, like yoga, you know, like yoga, pranayama, whatever, or they think it's like breath meditation and you're just kind of doing the, you know, a breath awareness. And then some others might've maybe heard of holotropic breath work and they think breath work is just that, you know, that really intense kind of breathing. And, yes. and so, I, yeah. And I think that was definitely also one of the reasons to start the breath circle. And, you know, we have plans for a website and to, to really put more educational content out there uh, for people to understand, like, like the framework that you were just explaining um, to understand that it's just like an umbrella term, right? Breath work. And then there's like all, all these different ways that we can, can use the breath and, uh, one way that we came up with another sort of 
categorization, uh, and we recorded an episode on that just recently, uh, kind of like the different breathwork experiences that you can have. And one was uh, microdosing breathwork, which would be like, oh, I'm really anxious right now. Okay, let me just do some four, seven, eight breathing for like five minutes or three minutes or whatever. So that would be like a, a microdose. <laughs> and then, uh, and then um, uh, breath meditations is what I would define as, for example, I would stack different breathing patterns or like breathing techniques, you know, maybe like some five, 10 breathing, maybe some box breathing, maybe some alternate nostril, maybe like 10 minutes. Sequence. Of, exactly. Yeah. Right. And then I have some beautiful music coming with that. And then, you know, and then you do maybe five or 10 minutes of conscious connected breathing through the nose, for example, uh, in the morning or something. And, and so that's kind of what I do uh, these days is, is that kind of like the sequencing of, of different breathing techniques. And, um, and then also to music. I learned that from Dan Brule, actually. He loves breathing to music and like feeling the music, you know, that's really awesome. So I like doing that and kind of like get really creative with the breath um, and, be, and become one with the music. And then there is the more the transformational type also as, as you have in yours um, that that is you know used for healing and, and altered states of consciousness and stuff. So anyway, so well, I love what you're saying um, because um, in my work around burnout, um, mm -hmm. I've worked with this idea of integrating these recovery loops into your day. Mm -hmm. So you know, creating like this this um, a, a framework almost of uh, how to integrate these recovery loops. So mm -hmm. at either end of your day, you know, how do you start your day with a practice? How do you end your day with a practice? And how can you, as you know, you use the word microdosing, how can you weave these recovery loops into your everyday life yeah. so that you're not accumulating this adrenalized energy all day and then crashing or, you know, going to bed with this adrenalized energy, which then causes insomnia and a whole host of other issues. So you're really getting comfortable with creating this natural kind of rhythm of energy through your day. You know, mm. so you're weaving in this microdose or this recovery loop between your um, consultations, between your emails, you know, even just a simple sigh of relief is a, is a practice, you know. Mm even yawning is a practice. So, um, yeah, I mean, I love what you're saying and it speaks to this, um, this recovery loop idea that I've been working with. Mm. I love that. It's such an awesome so, thought, the recovery loop. It hadn't occurred to me, you know, cause I think I had gotten as far as thinking, yeah, these microdoses are nice, but they're kind of like emergency. I mean, they're tests and experiments, but they're also sort of emergency mechanisms of like, oh my gosh, anxieties come on. How do I right. settle it down? And, and, and so I think what we all want is some sort of a daily practice to not have the emergencies pop up and also be able to go deeper and do these transformational sessions. But we're, we're probably not going to be doing transformational sessions like multiple times a week. So it's looking for that daily practice. And I think what you're, you're bringing out here is that recovery loop of it's not about energize, 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 energize throughout the day or just relax. We're going to go through these cycles throughout the day. And so as we start to have these tools to kind of just understand where are we in the cycle you know, how balanced are we? And, and, yes. and, and that, that, that integrates breathwork into the daily practice itself, which, which is mm -hmm, so, exactly. so Because inspiring. that's a real point, right? So mm. that it's not, you know, my breathwork practice is in my life. Right. That your breath supports everything that you're doing. It mm. supports awareness, how you're showing up in every moment. It supports mm -hmm. how you're communicating, how you're listening, how you're speaking, you know, how you're engaging with the world. 
Um, and, and so, I mean, I think for me, that's really the point. Mm. Well, I mean, you wrote a whole book on burnout and energy management. <laughs> so uh, this is a beautiful, actually, uh, bridge, building the bridge uh, from your end to what I wanted to get into now um, towards the end of our conversation. But yeah, I'd love to hear how that came about. Like, was that an um, experience that you've had in your life, burnout? Um, and what were the things that you found out and that um, you share with people? And, and what part does the breath play? Uh, in your mm. recommendations because yes we are in a like a burnout like what is it not a pandemic an epidemic or no, whatever but yeah. uh, it's happening all over the place all I hear I feel like these days from people is like I'm burning out I burned out you know and I had to change my whole life and <laughs> so it's full-on yeah yeah I mean I, I think that there are various expressions of burnout the mm. different ways we experience it you know as I mentioned earlier in the conversation um, I experienced the kind of form of burnout um, after my, my stint at the hospital, you know, just from being sleep deprived and being so exhausted and being quite cynical about humanity in the world. And um, so that is a kind of burnout. Um, and then, uh, so unfortunately, I've always had uh, pretty good health and, you know, robust health, and I'm very grateful for that. But what I started to see uh, in my practice was typical symptoms showing up with people related to stress in inverted commas, right? And so headaches, insomnia, irritable bowel syndrome, um, muscle tension, allergies, you know, it's, it's like all these typical symptoms that, you know, are the everyday niggles that would present at a, a general practitioner of example. And then you would get people with just chronic illness. So fibromyalgia and autoimmune conditions and cancer and severe depression. And I thought, you know, this is the way my brain works, I suppose, is that I like to see the big picture of things uh, and I like to create the con connections and I like to join the dots. And I realized that if we really to understand the way that the stress cycle works, okay, from the brain, um, the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis and how stress hormones are released and we understand the effects of stress hormones on the body, we can understand why we have these symptoms. We know that when adrenaline is released into the system, it's going to shunt blood away from the digestive system. It's going to essentially shut the digestive system down. We know the mouth goes dry, digestion stops all the energy is directed towards the periphery. We become super sensitive to our environment. Muscle tension increases, okay? And then following that on that is the release of cortisol. And we know that cortisol releases uh, blood stores from, from um, I mean, not blood stores, uh, glucose stores from, from muscles. It acts as an anti-inflammatory. So that's helpful in the short term. But what is the effect of this prolonged release of stress hormones on the body in long term, mm -hmm. you know. And mm -hmm. so we understand why we have uh, such a problem with IBS. We understand now why stress is related to digestive issues mm -hmm. and constipation and diarrhea because, you know, um, this is uh, chronically what's happening is that the digestive system is, is um, chronically shut down. Mm -hmm. We understand why 
people are experiencing a dampening of the immune system, you know, and everything that's related to that, because we just have chronically high levels of adrenaline and cortisol. Mm. So we become addicted to our own adrenalized energy. Mm. And so then we initially, when we're in the initial stages of this heightened response, we don't even realize that it's anything related to burnout because it's, it's fantastic. It feels good initially. You know, this feeling of being wired is, is great, but it's, you know, the little niggles of the inability to switch off the mind, um, our inability to drop into deep rest where our sleep is not restorative anymore, that slowly we, be, we begin to build up levels of inflammation in the body. And so we're not dropping down into the parasympathetic nervous system deep enough for the body's rejuvenative effects to take place. You know? And eventually over time, what happens is that the body is unable to keep up with the demands um, of, of adrenaline and cortisol anymore. The adrenal glands get tired and, so, and then start to drop. So the levels of cortisol start to drop and we start to then experience the symptoms of more severe burnout. Okay, so like it's more difficult to get out of bed in the morning. Uh, we feel more tired than wired, you know, and it's also then when we start to see all the chronic illnesses um, showing up. Mm. Yeah, uh, it's, this is like, I, I'm, I'm almost at a loss of words because in my understanding of my own um, chronic health journey, started with a tick bite and it had mold and all these heavy metals and things. But the more, the more I've gotten deeper into what, what flares me up, it's, it's, it's very closely tied to stress. And I was just having this conversation actually with a classmate um, yesterday about stress is tied directly to exercise and, and sleep. And, you know, you could say breathwork's integrated in all this. And I think it is. And I think that's obviously the big elephant in the room is, wow, breathwork actually helps on all these fronts. But yeah, just getting to the bottom of kind of like, what is, what is the physical, what is the emotional, I, I think kind of the frontier of all this for people who think, oh, I have a physical illness, I'm never going to get better. It's, it's kind of just understanding like, where's, where are my stress levels? Because that stress sensitivity may be heightened because of some physical toxin or something, but it's still, you know, it, the ability to manage the stress, I, I, I think from my lived experience can mean full mitigation of symptoms and, and obviously managing stress is complicated. And, and getting rid of stress when it comes up, because it's going gonna, it's gonna to come up over and over again. But where, are my, where am I in my recovery cycles and how am I dealing with stress and what is my relationship with stress? You know, it's, mm. that's exciting stuff. So anyway, I'm just planting a seed. This is obviously a, a, a deeper thing and, and maybe a follow-up thing that we can talk about, but it's, I just yeah. wanted to reflect. That's something I'm, I'm very interested in and excited about and just on the frontier of my own um, understanding of mind-body connection too. Well, and kind of like what I was sharing earlier, you know, when we talk about stress, I mean, yeah, we're a lot of us think when we talk about stress is just like work stress, you know, or mm. um, let it be. Uh, yeah, or you're running your own business or whatever. But it's also stress in relationships, which is which relates to the whole codependency idea when your body's constantly uh, in anxious mode. You know, uh, when you're constantly fearing abandonment or rejection or, you know, or in, you know, uh, with codependency issues, um, then your body is under constant stress as well on a, in, a, in a different way, maybe, but, you know, very comparable to the effects of it in your body in terms of, you know, how it causes inflammation and stuff like that. Mm. Um, so I think that there's sometimes a bit of a, 
like uh it's not taken as seriously maybe uh mm. you know when like when we talk about stress a lot of people think it's just doing a lot of things and being really busy and having a lot of stuff to do and and burning ourselves out through the work that we do but um you know there's so many other stressors people trapped in relationships that are really unhealthy and toxic and mm. that cause a lot of stress you know and mm. things mm. like that um, and just going back to this idea of just not feeling safe you know I yes think thank you key. yeah mm-hmm Exactly. Yeah. You know, everything unsafe. That, you know, mm-hmm. Every any anything that will kind of um, kind of trigger this feeling of uh, not being safe is a stressor. Mm. So true. Actually, coming yeah. But if we think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Like on the bot, if like the bottom couple of levels around are like uh, need for safety. If they're not met, then you know uh, that, <laughs> in essence, will lead us to being really fucking stressed, and then will lead to illness. Yeah. So. Mm. Mm, wonderful. One one little point I want to add on top of that, you know, as we talk about anxiety and stress, like excitement is a, like what's the difference between anxiety and excitement? Like, <laughs> I'm so glad you asked that question. You know. <laughs> Because this is one of the things that I really, really, really struck me when I was trying to unpack this whole burnout idea, that the people who were most passionate and most excited about life, most positive were burning out. Like wow, how, yeah. how were the most amazing, passionate, excited people who were doing fantastic things in the world burning out? It really bothered me, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> <laughs> And then it occurred to me that actually the body does not know the difference between the energy of excitement and the energy of anxiety because it's adrenaline. It's still adrenaline, you know, and if we are not recovering enough, if we're not resting enough, if we, if the body is not dropping into that parasympathetic system deeply enough, then even excitement um, the adrenaline from excitement can be, you know, harmful, you know, and I often see this is that um, there are certain personality types that are drawn to activities that just fuel adrenaline, mm-hmm. you know, so people will go out and do these hectic cycles for three hours, you know, and endurance training and push their body so hard. And the type, so type A personalities. Yes. <laughs> and it feels wonderful initially. Yeah. But, you know, in the long term, um, you know, just one needs to be aware of that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I'm just saying that often, sometimes you know, the things that we think are helpful are actually not. Mm. And so it's really important then to come back to listening to the body. And, and using even, you know, exercise as a way to tune in rather than to tune out. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's just how balanced am I, you know? And it, I just want to throw in one little nugget here of like, one of the <laughs> last, last, last nugget <laughs> is when I was studying Vipassana meditation, you know, the, the practice is so simple. It's about awareness and equanimity. And, and that equanimity piece is kind of what we're talking about. It's like, getting really depressed and, and, and bummed out, you know, is one side of it, but also really, really, really excited. You're throwing off your equanimity and, and there's that just balance component that we're dancing around that can be taught in all these different forms. Yeah. Yeah. I saw a little he- a head shake there. <laughs> I mean, yeah. No nuggets. Nuggets I, retracted. I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, I think that, 
you know, often this is a state that we feel compelled to achieve, mm -hmm. the state of equanimity. But mm -hmm. I think that part of the beauty of being a human being is to experience the, the ecstatic joy and, and the mm -hmm. fear and the sadness yes. and the whole yes. range of human experience. I don't know about equanimity. I think that, Same. yes, it's a natural, I think it's a, it's a natural state. It's a state of being. The still point resides within all of us. Mm -hmm. But I think it's about allowing ourselves the freedom and the joy of the whole human experience from this place, mm -hmm. you know. So we can fully immerse ourselves in the totality of that emotion or that experience. Mm -hmm. But we know that we are not it. We are just having this experience. Mm -hmm. And we know how to return back to center. And so for me, I think that's what it's about. Mm -hmm. Hell yeah. No, that yeah. was awesome. That, that, I love that. Because that that's really exactly the trend rocks. I'm on yeah. these days. Yeah. <laughs> that good. really rocked. And, 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 you know, it's like people who live a fully equanimous life aren't living to the fullest. And I think it's like, get excited, but realize that you're way up here. And, right. you know, like, don't get, don't, don't think you're always going to be there. So thank you. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm reading a really interesting book right now on that. Actually, it's called Grounded Spirituality by Jeff Brown. And he basically- Oh, I love his work. Yeah. So, and he wrote this really great book about what we we're just talking about. It's not about transcending sadness and anger and transcending all of these things because they make us fucking human. And that mm. is the human experience. It's about- exactly embody do it like you know getting into embodiment uh practices like breath work or somatic experiencing and you know all the things that we can do to actually live in our bodies right and not mm -hmm. fucking transcend stuff mm -hmm. <laughs> you totally know? and that's the work of our time is embodiment mm -hmm. yeah exactly that's mm -hmm. awesome yeah i highly mm -hmm. recommend the book i'm still reading it but uh yeah <laughs> it's just it's good for my brain right now Love um it. So to slowly land the plane, as Phil would usually say, um, I, you, I saw on your website also that you run something like called the Breath Cafe and you have like a lot of awesome online offerings and stuff. Do you want to just share a little bit of what's happening there? Yes. So, I mean, that was one of the gifts that lockdown brought mm. was Breath Cafe, you know, mm -hmm. so, because obviously we couldn't do in-person sessions. Um, we experimented with this idea of just offering uh, free sessions every Saturday online through the lockdown. Mm -hmm. And it was just incredible. You know, uh, we found people coming in from tuning in from all over the world. And there was a sense of community and connection and support and safety. And then it occurred to us that this could be like a whole new business, a whole new kind of offering um, from Breathwork Africa. And we love this idea of just coming to hang out at a cafe. So, you know, <laughs> I love it like, too. Yeah. as if you, you know, like you would go to your local coffee shop and meet a friend and have a cup of coffee and it's just joyful and it's a recovery loop and it's time for connection. You know, how can we create a similar space online where people can just come in and hang out and connect with each other and just breathe and reconnect um, and uh, yeah, so that was the idea of Breath Cafe. So we offer uh, three sessions uh, a week online. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we've got a growing following now from all over the world. And it's just been so wonderful. Mm -hmm. So anyone can join. Um, you can drop in for, or, you know, one-on-one or just a once-off session. Or you can sign up for a very reasonable amount, um, and, you know, for, and just experience unlimited 
breathwork. That's awesome. So cool. So much good stuff that you're up to, uh, Ila. And um, I think, Phil, is, was there anything else you wanted to, I felt like there was another thing you wanted to just throw in there. <laughs> There's always, I'm always trying to get another a nugget in, into the cafe, but uh, and I was just smiling, thinking about just, it's such a great name to call it, the cafe, coming and hanging yeah, out, like tasting breath, breath work. All the, yeah, all the yeah. breath uh, recipes you know, in the cafe. It's, it's so exactly, great. Exactly. The whole range of recipes and, you know, you can have an espresso. Yeah, the menu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a latte to come down. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and the community aspect, right? You're not going to be yeah. alone and... You know, you're going to yes. connect to people. That's, so, that's yeah. so cool. Wonderful. Awesome. Well, where can people find you, your amazing work? Where can they follow you and connect with you? Well, um, my personal website is um, drelamanga.com, D-R-E-L-A-M-A-N-G-A.com. And then Breathwork Africa, that website is breathworkafrica.co.za. And then you can also find me on Instagram at Ilamanga, or one word, and on Facebook. But I prefer Instagram. I don't, yeah. I'm not a, yeah, I just spend more time on Instagram. So that's mm. probably the best place. Wonderful. We'll put it all in the show notes, of yeah. course. We and, connected um, on Instagram. Go Instagram. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> For sure. So, yeah, thank you so much, Ila. It's been really wonderful having this uh, conversation with you. Very mm. wide ranging, but, uh, yeah, it's really beautiful. Thank you so much. Mm, thank you. Thank you. It's been wonderful talking to you both.